Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to Chick Chat, the Baby Chick Podcast, where we explore all things related to motherhood, from career and relationships to parenting and wellness. Join me, Nina Spears, your baby expert and host, as we dive into topics that matter to mothers, share personal stories and insights, and interview experts and parents who can provide valuable advice and perspectives. Whether you're a first-time mom just starting out or a seasoned pro, we've got you covered. So grab a cup of tea, sit back, and let's Chick Chat. Hey guys, it's Nina the Baby Chick. Welcome back to Chick Chat. Today we have Dr. Marcy Crouch as our guest. Dr. Marcy is the founder of The Down There Doc, a mama and doctor dedicated to universally serving, empowering, and equipping women and the birthing community with confidence building and injury prevention tips, along with valuable information and knowledge to support birth preparation and postpartum recovery. Her vision is to set a new standard of physical health and well being for birth preparation and postpartum recovery for the birthing community. So women thrive physically throughout their lives. In today's episode, we are chatting with Dr. Marcy about pelvic floor health from pregnancy to birth and beyond. Dr. Marcy is sharing her excellent tips and knowledge on how to prepare and take care of yourself down there. So let's get started and learn more about this topic. Hi, Dr. Marcy. It is so wonderful to have you on our show. Thank you for being here. Oh my gosh. Well, thank you for having me. I love talking about vaginas. So whatever, <laughs> what, you know, whenever someone's like, come on the podcast, talk about vaginas. I'm like, yes, let's do it. <laughs> oh my yes. gosh. Well, I'm so happy you're saying that because we have all the questions for you as a woman and as a doctor, we're excited to really get the tea from you. But before we dive in, we always like to learn a little bit more about our guests. So Dr. Marcy, like, please tell us a little bit about you and your background and how you ended up where you are today. Like, this expert in vaginas and everything. Yeah, I know. People are like, how did that happen? And I'm, I'm like, it's a crazy <laughs> right. story. Let me tell you. I am Marcy Crouch. I have a doctorate in physical therapy and my specialty is in women's health, pregnancy, and postpartum. So I had no idea going into my physical therapy school, getting my doctorate, that there was even a subset of PTs who worked in this area so to speak. You know, I was 25. I had just gotten married. None of my friends were having kids. Kids weren't even on, not even a twinkle in my eye. You know, I just was like, this is not even in my wheelhouse. And I remember sitting in my anatomy class and the professor was talking about the pelvic floor. It was kind of at the end of the semester. And she used the example of a woman having a very significant tear during childbirth. And I remember my jaw just dropped to the floor and I was staring at that picture and I was like, okay, wait, one, you tear during delivery? <laughs> what, what do you tear? Like I couldn't even, it was one of those life-changing moments where I remember what I was wearing, where I was sitting, and I just was fascinated by that. And as physical therapists, we're kind of the best people to be 
down there, when we're talking about musculoskeletal injury, muscle tearing, weakness, tightness, all that stuff. And I really had no idea about that going into grad school. So from that moment on, I was like, okay, this is what I want to do. Because truth be told, I thought I had made a terrible mistake. (laughs) I was like spending all this money in my grad school, getting my doctorate. And I was like, man, I don't know if this is really something that I wanted to do. There's all these restrictions with insurance and, you know, healthcare is so tough. And then when I found this pelvic floor women's health aspect, I was like, oh my gosh, this is it. I found my calling. This is where I want to be. And I decided from that point on that that was really where I was going to focus my studies and my time and my specialty. So from there on, I really, this is the only type of rehab I've really ever done outside of, you know, the rotations that we need to do during school. But I went right into residency after I graduated to specialize in this women's health, pelvic floor pregnancy, postpartum, that sort of thing. And then I was fortunate enough to work right out of residency and and through my career with one of the best pelvic floor practices in the country. And then we move all over for my husband's job, which is like a whole nother podcast. But I've worked kind of all over the West Coast, owned my own practice in Los Angeles, worked for hospitals, worked for private practice. And now we live in Alabama for my husband's work. And now I'm all online, pretty much. I see patients two days a week at a little practice in, in my hometown. And then my other business is all the down there doc stuff. Oh my gosh. What a story. And it really sounds like it was just a calling. It was like this aha moment that happened to you. And you're like, oh, Girl. no, this, like, this Girl. is scary. And people need support yes. <laughs> after this. Yes. Totally. And the more I research that I did in it, and remember, I'm a student at this point, and I'm none of my friends are having kids. I'm not having kids, you know. But the more research I was doing in it and the more exposure I got with this population, it was so evident. I was like, oh my God, there's so many women <laughs> giving birth in the US. There's like a tiny amount of pelvic floor PTs. You know, there's like all of these issues and we have more children, right? It's like multiple deliveries. And I'm like, this is insanity that there's so many women suffering from pelvic floor issues from pregnancy and childbirth. And there's like zero help for them. But then there's all this help for like a sprained ankle. And I'm like, how is this okay? You know, as a healthcare provider, I'm like, how is this okay? And like, where is this disconnect? And there's this huge chasm. So yeah, it really was a calling, I feel like. And I love working with women. I love working with moms and I'm a mom now. And, you know, I have kind of like a newfound respect and admiration for the strength of women being a mom and kind of going through everything, you know, since the pandemic and all that stuff. So I really feel honored that this is kind of where my career took me. And I just love it so much. Oh, that is so cool. And now I'm going off the grid. I'm asking this question because this is such a intimate service. How can you do that virtually? Yeah. Because when I think of that, I'm like, oh man, I have to try and find someone that's local who can help me or my clients after having a baby. But that's so cool that you help people virtually. But how does that work? Yeah, it's such a great question. And honestly, if you had asked me that before COVID, I would have been <laughs> like, like, not I a don't. chance in hell. <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm like, no way. But here's the thing. Okay, so the problem that I encountered in the clinic, and it didn't matter where I was, whether it was a bustling metropolis like Los Angeles or Portland, Oregon, or like a suburb, didn't matter. Women were coming in with the same problems and the same issues, right? And it was, Mm -hmm. nobody told me about this. I didn't know where to go. 
I didn't know that this was even a thing or a problem. You know, my life is completely altered. What do I do? I'm so upset that I don't have these resources or this isn't like something that's, you know, mainstream. So I found that everyone is suffering and dealing with this. And even internet, like my international clients too, Canada, the UK, South Africa, like everywhere people are dealing with all of these problems postpartum. So that was one problem that I was like, okay, we have to solve it. Second was that I was limited in the clinic by geography, by time. You know, I lost a lot of my clients after maternity leave was over because we just can't Mm. get in. I mean, you know, as a mom and it's like once maternity leave is over and you're back to work, you've used up all your PTO, you have childcare expenses now, you have to go back to work, you might have other kids that you have to schlep around. So moms are like, dude, I just can't even get in. And I'm like, that can't be the answer. Either like all or none or nothing at all. And then the third was, like you mentioned, finding someone. There's not a lot of us out there. No, there really isn't. No. And I had clients like fly in to see me, you know, for a week straight and then go back to wherever they lived. And then I'd try to coordinate with a PT in their hometown. And like, that's not accessible and sustainable either, right? So it's like, okay, geography time cost is another problem because, Insurance reimbursement, unfortunately, is pretty crappy. And a lot of pelvic floor PTs like myself, when you own your own practice, have to go out of network. So we have to charge cash-based rates and then you know clients can submit for out-of-network reimbursement, but it's a lot of money up front. I mean, it is, you know, and that's not always an option for everyone. So I said, okay, <laughs> let's take what we're doing in the clinic that is like the most bang for your buck, right? And so from like a PT standpoint, a lot of what we do is movement mechanics, prevention, early recovery, all of that can be translated into the virtual space without me having to like look at your vagina or like put my finger in your vagina, right? To test your muscles. So I was like, okay, what are we doing in the clinic that's most effective, that's most translatable to the virtual space? And how can we put it out for the masses that will be effective and accessible? And so I came up with some online courses and online programs that really kind of focus on birth prep. So we're reducing the risk of injury and early recovery. We know from that minute baby is born until that six or eight week mark, like we don't have anything. We have nothing. We have nothing from early recovery, no swelling, pain management, early mobility, how to get out of bed when you have a waterbed for an abdomen. God forbid you have like some sort of pubic symphysis separation or pain and you can't walk. I mean, I could go on and on, but there's no resources there from an early recovery standpoint. And that's where a lot of this setting up for success can come into play. Mm -hmm. So long-term, you know, at your six or eight week mark or even further, you're in a better place than you would be. So I was like, okay, everything that we're doing in the clinic, that's like not needed to be hands-on, we can translate into like an online program. So that's what we did. We have three online programs. And then we do virtual sessions as well where, you know, you don't have to show me your vagina, but if you need like a little bit more kind of one-on-one guidance and a little bit more one-on-one support, depending on whatever specific needs you have, then you can work with one of the therapists on my team and we can help you with that. And then we 
always say, you know, gold standard obviously would be in person, person, but that's, yeah, totally. And we want to refer out as much as possible. And we're very big over here at the Down There Doc for community over competition. I say I want pelvic floor PT to be as common to Starbucks, you know, (laughs) I want it to be on every quarter. And so like we will work hard behind the scenes to find a provider for you if we're not able to do what we can do virtually. So I hope that answered your question. It was kind of a long... That totally does. No, because like I absolutely agree with you. I think that a lot of women just think, oh, well, this is just what I have to deal with now that I've had a baby. Like this is just my new normal. And no, like for listeners out there, please do not take that as like, oh, this is just now incontinence. Like I'm just going to pee myself. I think people just make light of so many of these things. And because we're just making fun of it and dismissing it, we're then having to live with these just challenges that are really unnecessary and you can get the help and support. But I totally appreciate you being upfront that like, yes, it is very difficult to find someone in your location, finding the time, the money, all that stuff. So that's why I was like, wait, virtual, wait, how does this work? How does that work? (laughs) I know. And it's so funny because COVID really forced us out of our comfort zones, right? And when we think about physical therapy, we think about like hands-on and exercise and all those things. And like, yes, that's part of it, but there's just so much that we can do with our eyes. And I think one of the biggest things that's missing for moms too, you know, we talked about that early recovery phase, like we can do a virtual session at home when you're home after birth, you know, within a week or two, and we can actually see your setup. And if somebody's like, dude, oh my gosh, like I feel like my vagina is falling out every time I put my baby down in the bassinet, I'm like, okay, show me the bassinet and show me how you're doing it. And we can problem solve so much that way and just do these little tweaks around the house, you know, like let's raise the crib up a bit or let's get you a footstool there or show me your bathtub. And it's actually, I think, more effective to be honest, because it's like real life. Right. It's like exactly what their situation would be. And when I wasn't had my practice in LA, I did home sessions. And in those early days postpartum, you know, we really don't want to be messing with the tissue, right? Like I'm not screwing with C-section scars and like, you know, checking your pelvic floor, but there's so much that we can do just like teaching you how to get out of the bed and how to do this and how to do that. That is just like so much better. When you have a total hip replacement or if you have an abdominal surgery in the hospital, what do you get? Pre-physical <laughs> therapy, right? Before surgery. You have a PT in the inpatient with you, like in the hospital with you after surgery. You're getting outpatient right away. You have a whole team, right? It's like you have all of these things. And then it's like you have a C-section and it's like, okay, good luck. <laughs> bye. I just cut through seven layers of abdominal tissue Keep this baby alive and don't complain about it. I'll see you in eight weeks. Here's an Advil. <laughs> here's yeah. Here's an Advil and like, oh no, if your scar starts like pussing, call me. You know, it's just like it's so absurd. Yeah. It's, it's just backwards. like it really is crazy. So yeah. So virtual is a great option for a lot of people. We love that. Oh my gosh. Okay. Dr. Marcy, now can you, I feel like we've gotten into this, but I really want to know like the nitty gritty, like please explain to our listeners the importance of pelvic floor health and why it is important to start thinking about that during pregnancy. We've been touching on this, but like, let's get into it. Yeah. Yeah. It's such a great question. So your pelvic floor, I feel like it's like becoming trendy, you know, which I kind of love. Thank God. <laughs> Thank God. Yeah. I'm like so on, so on trend right now. Yeah. So your pelvic floor 
a lot of people don't even know what it is or where it is. So they don't No. And why should you? I mean, nobody teaches you about it. So like nothing to be ashamed of. So let's break that silence. So your pelvic floor is a group of muscles that sit at the bottom of your pelvis. Okay. So they go from front to back. So like pubic bone back to your tailbone and then side to side, like sit bone to sit bone. So they're like a hammock almost. They're literally, Nina, the floor of your core. Okay? Yes. They're like holding everything in. Like <laughs> holding your hold- uterus, holding your bladder, all of those good Every- organs. <laughs> Gravity, your body weight, all of your organs, everything. Okay. If we didn't have our pelvic floor, we- things would just fly out. Okay. So support is number one function. Second function is continence. Okay. So these muscles help keep in urine, gas, and stool. And then when we have to go to the bathroom, the muscles release, you know, things come out and then they start working again. And then the third is a sexual function. So pelvic floor muscles attach to the sides of the clitoris. So they help with orgasm, that kind of rhythmic contraction. And then they have to lengthen and release in order to allow penetration. Okay. I should mention this. The pelvic floor muscles are a skeletal muscle. They're made up of the same stuff as like your bicep or your quad or your glute or whatever. Okay. Which means that they can get strong. They can get weak. They can get tight. Right. Like if you've ever woken up with like a crick in your neck, same thing can happen in your pelvic floor. I'm so glad you say that because I think a lot of people just think, oh, it's weak, weak, weak. But I have actually met women who have had overly tight all the time pelvic floor problems. And I'm like, actually, you have the opposite problem. Totally. Yeah. So a lot of times, I'm so glad that you brought that up because I think that's a huge misconception. And people always think that Kegels are the answer to all of that (laughs) because that's what we're told all the time. But because they're skeletal muscle, we have to make sure that muscles are able to be functional through every action, which is a contraction, a relaxation, you know, all of those things. So a lot of times Kegels can make it worse. And especially for pregnancy, Kegels are important in the sense that we need to, you know, support the pregnancy moving forward. But those muscles have to do the opposite for delivery. Mm. They have to get out of the way. (laughs) Pelvic floor muscles don't push a baby out. They lengthen and release. And so a lot of times people think like, oh my gosh, I have to have this like super strong pelvic floor. I'm going to be doing all these contractions. You know, I'm like working out, working out. And it's like, sometimes those muscles are too short or too contracted. And sometimes they get that way just from the demands of pregnancy. You know, think about what those muscles have to do for nine months. They have to hold everything up, including a baby that's getting bigger, a placenta, a uterus that's 100 times the size, your increase in body weight, gravity, increase in blood volume, all of those things, right? So we don't do that ever with our bicep. We're just not like holding a weight that's getting heavier and heavier and heavier for a period of nine months and then telling the bicep, okay, stop doing that. And then, oh, pick it back up again. And that's what we expect our pelvic floor to be doing. And so it's no wonder, just from a muscle physiology standpoint, that we see so many pelvic floor problems after having a baby. And it's not just delivery. It's the pregnancy that can cause issues because of all that load and demand over nine months. You know, So a lot of our C-section mamas are surprised that they might have leaking or pain or prolapse because they're like, dude, the baby didn't come out of my vagina. Like, What the hell happened? But it's more of the load and the demand on those structures that can be just too much. So that's why it's so important 
to think about this stuff early in pregnancy to set yourself up for a better and easier pregnancy and a better and easier delivery and therefore an easier recovery. Yes. And I'm so glad that you mentioned this rather than just vaginal deliveries, but also C-sections. Like literally any person who gets pregnant, like this will potentially affect you. So no matter how this baby comes out, we need to be thinking about this and preparing for it. And I mean, now we're talking about it. I think more people are finally talking about this and preparing for it, which is good because you want to set yourself up for success afterwards. So you're right. I think a lot of doctors just say, okay, do Kegels. And that's what you should be doing during your pregnancy. And you're saying like, okay, sure, that's a part of it, but like not all of it. So, okay, now Dr. Marcy, now I need to know all of it. So like (laughs) what can a pregnant woman do to prepare her pelvic floor for birth besides Kegels? Yeah. Yeah. It's such a great question. So when we think about function of muscle, just in general, we want muscles to be functional through their entire range of motion. Okay. Because muscles have to contract and they have to release, right? And they function in both of those kind of states. So for the pelvic floor, we need to teach the muscles how to contract, maintain that level of strength and endurance and power throughout the pregnancy, right? This is more of like a marathon versus a sprinter because that pregnancy is long time. Like nine months is a long time. And we don't ever get to really rest the muscles, right? We can't just like put them in a boot like we could when we have a sprained ankle. It's like they're kind of on all the time. So we need to teach the muscles and train them appropriately for the demands of the pregnancy. And then on the other side of that, we need to teach the muscles how to be able to lengthen and bear down effectively. And it's interesting because a lot of my clients and a lot of women are like, yeah, they told me you know, that I wasn't pushing the right way or that I wasn't pushing hard enough or that nothing was happening when I was pushing. And bearing down and pushing is not always something that you just know how to do. You know what I mean? It's like, you have to practice that. That's a skill. That's a specific position. But what do you say to people who are like, but I poop every day or I poop, you know, however often, like, so I know how to push, but you're saying actually, no, it's a different kind of pushing. Yeah. It's the same kind of motion, right? It's that like lengthening and bearing down. But when we add in pregnancy and we add in like getting a baby out of there, there's a lot of different variables than just you know, sitting on a toilet and pooping. (laughs) (laughs) So in order to prepare that side of things, I teach women how to bear down effectively using breath and making sure the pelvic floor has the resources, which means like, does it even have the range of motion to get there? Because like a poop is that big, you know, a penis is that big, maybe. (laughs) And then, you know, depending. And then a baby's head is this big. Yeah. So yes, it's the same motion, but we need more, right? We need to be more effective. So in order for pushing to be more effective, we need to practice it and we need to practice it in positions that you would push in. So when I teach women how to prepare for delivery, I teach them perineal massage, which is a way to actually like stretch the tissues and the muscle. And this is not having it done when the baby is crowning for the first time in the hospital by the nurse with Johnson's baby shampoo. (gasps) Yeah, that's not it. You need to start earlier, like 34, 36 weeks. So we teach that. 
And then we teach doing that in different positions because we want to make it as real life as possible. And then we teach that with pushing and then we combine all of it. So if you're, you know, learning how to push and you find that you get a really good bearing down in side lying, then that's what we're going to practice in. We're going to do perineal massage in that position. We're going to do push practice in that position. You're going to bring your partner in to hold your upper leg. So the first time that he or she is holding your leg isn't when the baby is coming out and there's like nurses screaming and you're like freaking out. You know, it's like, okay, I've been here before. Partner's like, cool. I know that I have to like hold the leg this way and I know that she gets a really good push here. So it's like the analogy that I use is we need to be preparing for labor the same way that we're preparing for like a baseball game for a pitcher or something. Mm -hmm. We don't just tell a pitcher, oh, people have been pitching for years. Just go pitch that game. (laughs) Right? We make sure that pitcher has range of motion in the shoulder and the legs and the hips and that have the correct strength and can get their arm in the position that needs to be in and has the power and the endurance and the training for that, right? right. So the same thing, needs, we need to be start thinking about delivery that way, especially nowadays when there's so many interventions, which you know are good and bad. I mean, they save lives. Like I'm not somebody to of course, you know, yeah. poo-poo any of that, but we need to make sure that we know how to navigate around that. So it has to be as functional as possible. Yeah. And I want to mention, you brought up, I help them learn how to push effectively with breath. But for the women who are birthing in hospitals and their nurses who are telling them, hold your breath, bear down, I'm counting to 10. And of course, you know, they're like eight, nine, 10. Okay. You can stop. And you're purple pushing. What do you say to those women? Oh my gosh. I know. Oh Lord have mercy. (laughs) So this is actually a term, right? Purple pushing or we say coached pushing versus spontaneous pushing. And this is what I say. (laughs) Okay. First, as an aside to that, I've had labor and delivery nurses go through my birth prep courses and programs when they were pregnant themselves. And they have said, wow, I didn't know any of this. I had no idea about this. And they're labor and delivery nurses. Yes. I've been to over 300 births. Literally almost every single one of them does the counted, coached, pushing, purple pushing. And I'm like, when I start saying, no, let's use our breath, they're like, no, 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 it's not as effective. And I'm like, okay, because I know nothing. (laughs) Yeah, right. And you're like, actually, it's more effective. You're like, here's exactly. funny to show it. Like, just have it. I know. It's so hard. So I will say to them that coach versus spontaneous pushing. And literature shows that we have better outcomes, both mom and baby, when we do spontaneous pushing, which is pushing with urge and resting in between contractions. The problem with coach pushing is that somebody else is telling you how to push, when to push, when to start, when to stop, and how hard to push, regardless of where you are with contractions. And from a pelvic floor standpoint, that's a lot of strain and stress on pelvic floor muscles and that like very delicate perineum when in kind of a more spontaneous environment baby comes down, stretches the perineum a little bit, and then goes back up a bit. And then you rest. And then next contraction, you go a little bit further, right? It's like two steps forward, one step back. Mm -hmm. And that's where we see less of those like significant perineal tears and trauma because the tissue has time to accommodate. 
Right. Wait, so I'm going to interrupt you, Dr. Marcy, because I think that, so a lot of, most women, at least in America, you get an epidural Mm -hmm. during their labor. And so they cannot feel when they're having a contraction and cannot use that urge to push. And so this is why they have coached pushing because the nurse is saying, you're having a contraction now. I need you to push during this time. And I will tell you when to stop because the contraction is tapering off. So I did want to add that. So even with that, when they don't technically feel the urge to push, what do you say to those women? Yeah. So two things. I think epidurals are lovely. I had two. (laughs) (laughs) I love them. You can ask for a lower dose epidural. So you start to feel pressure versus pain. And this is something that you can talk about and what I talk about in my courses a lot ahead of time. So you're familiar with what the hospital policy is in terms of, you know, what anesthesiology does for epidural. Do you have the PCA, which is a little button that, you know, controls dosage, that sort of thing. If you have a higher dose and you are truly not feeling anything, totally fine, you can look at the monitor and you can see when you're having a contraction and you can kind of push with that or you can have your partner or your doula coach you in terms of like, okay, contraction is starting, contraction is ending. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that's very important that everybody kind of understands like the physiology of birth, not to like a crazy extent, but be like, okay, when there's a contraction, let's push with the contraction versus pushing with the contraction stops. Yeah. Because you want to work with that pressure. You don't want to work extra hard when there's like that additional pressure is gone. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Exactly. It's not going to be as effective. You're going to get tired and it's way more stress and strain on your pelvic floor. And yeah, on your cervix, it can swell your cervix if you're doing that for too long. So yeah, you want to be effective with your pushing. Yes. Yes. And save your resources and energy, you know? Yes. Amen. And I think too, going back to like the breath situation, you know, a lot of times we do get this coached chin to chest, close your eyes, hold your breath, you know, push as hard as you can. So like your eyeballs pop out and you have like steam coming out of your ears. You want to think about the vagina and your mouth as like a continuous tube. Okay. Like it's all connected. And so if you squeeze like a tube of toothpaste, right. From, you close off the top and you squeeze it. Like there's all that pressure down or it's like, this is fitting, you know, given the baby chick, like you've seen those little like rubber chickens where you like squeeze and squeeze it and the head pops up. Exactly. exactly. (laughs) So you want to make sure that you have like an exchange of air and pressure. So we teach open mouth pushing or, you know, breathing with a push, which means that you want to like not do a Valsalva maneuver where you have that like, kind of close like, oh my God, because they're like, nothing is coming up through here. So we teach pushing with like your mouth open, exhaling through your nose, breathing out, like you're blowing out a candle, singing, making sounds. Sometimes people will do quick, like, which is fine. You know, it's whatever feels good to you. Studies show that women have the best outcomes with delivery when they feel that they can pick the position that they push in and they push when they want to. And like, sometimes we need a little coaching and sometimes we need a little like, okay, baby, like let's, we got to get this baby out. Let's go. Like, that's the beauty of our medical system. Like we have all this monitoring stuff, but like there needs to be a little bit of balance here and there needs to be some dignity for the mom and respect for the mom and like, you know, what feels good to her and what doesn't. I mean, it, it can't all be about like the numbers on the monitor. It has to be about her well-being also. 
Yes, absolutely. And I love that we're talking about all of this because I don't think enough women think about, they think about how to get through labor and then they don't think about pushing and how pushing, <laughs> like that can really affect tearing. And so let's talk about that. Like tearing, like obviously this can definitely help reduce the risks of perineal tearing, but can you give us more information on this or any other tips and advice on like ways to help reduce that risk? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we break up tearing into kind of four categories. So there's grade one and grade two, which are where we want to stay around if possible. Grade three is broken up into like a 3A, 3B, 3C, which we don't need to get into. And then there's grade four. So grade three and four Perfect, are kind and of I'm very sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's toughness. But you know, all hope is not lost. If you've had a grade three or grade four tear, there's still, you know, a lot of things that we can do to help as far as the recovery process. And then next deliveries too. A lot of moms are totally freaked out. If they have a grade three or four tear, they're like, oh my God, if I have another baby, like, you know, am I going to just like rip it all? You know, like, no, no, that's not the case. We can definitely make that better. So we want to kind of stay around a grade one or grade two tear because just it involves less tissue it involves less muscles. We have better outcomes with grade one or two. So that's kind of like what I say. And really there's a couple things to think about in terms of reducing your risk for tearing. There are things that we can control and there's things that we can't control. The things that we can't control are like position of the baby. <laughs> like that baby comes up sunny side up. It's a higher risk for, you know, kind of a higher degree tear. If baby comes out with like shoulder dystocia or shoulder stuck, we're going to have a little bit more trauma to the tissue. Not necessarily, but we can. But things that we can control would be pushing style, position of mom, how you're breathing, what you've done to prepare, that sort of thing. So there's a lot of ways that we can try to prep the tissues and your environment as much as possible to control for the variables that we can control for. So the perineal massage is one, push practice is another, so I have it, it's called the three P's, perineal massage, push practice, and then practice like you play. It's kind of all of those three things put together. I also think understanding hospital policies, what your doctor's policies are in terms of like use of episiotomy, which is the surgical incision, you know, what are the rates on that? When would they decide to do that? That really should be done as medical necessity only, not as routine. Thank God it's not done routine anymore, but... Thank God. I don't know why that was ever a thing to begin oh, with. Oh God. Like, <laughs> that's so bar barbaric. I know. Like, let's just cut her open. This yeah. is taking too long. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And they thought it would be like better to cut than it would be to tear spontaneously, but that's, you know, not what we have found. So, and then I think having the conversation too about like instrumental delivery with your provider ahead of time. So like when you're in your prenatal appointments, you're like, okay, when would you bring in you know, a vacuum? When would you bring in forceps? Like what needs to happen before we make that decision? I want to be a part of that decision. How do we decide between that and C-section? So you know, like what all the steps would be. So you're not feeling like, oh my gosh, I don't know what to expect. Or like, oh my God, if I don't do this, I'm going to have like this crazy tear. And I want to say with what you just said, that's basically informed consent because totally. obviously they can't do anything unless they get your consent. But is it really consent if you do not understand what is happening to your body or what the benefits and risks of that intervention are. So like becoming informed is so vital when you're giving your consent. So I love how you said that. Yeah. And I think like how informed can you be 
with like the first time that you're hearing it about episiotomy or first time hearing about like forceps when you've been like in labor for a day and you've been pushing for four hours. Oh, you just want that baby out. You're like, oh, what? do whatever. I mean, you. there are so many women who I have seen over the last 13 years that don't know what went on down there. Oh, I had no idea he did an episiotomy. Oh, I had no idea that I had a tear. I had no idea like how big the tear was. Like my husband said, it took, you know, two hours to stitch up. Like they don't know, like, because they're never told to ask or talk to to about it. I'm like, well, you could get that information. Like you could look in your medical record and see what the tear was, you know? And they're like, oh, I didn't even know. Like they don't know those things. And I did, I don't know if this is like totally true. I feel like that they're is a study to support this somewhere out there that I read that said episiotomies are one of the number one non-consented surgical procedures in the U.S. I believe it. Yeah. That along with breaking of the waters. I have seen a physician break someone's water without even telling her that's what they were going to do. And I was like, are you kidding me? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, how hard is it to just be like, hey, we're going to do this. This is like- Is this okay? I'm messing with your body. Like, is that all right? (laughs) Right. Right. And I, and the, most of the time we'll be like, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know? like, okay, that sounds great. You know, but it's like, you need to give us the chance, right. To understand. And so, so much of the preparation really comes beforehand and, and it's hard. I get it. You know, it's super hard to like ask these questions in those appointments. You feel rushed, you know, you're miserable because you're in your third trimester, you know, like I get it. But if we start to kind of strategically plan it out and, you know, we have checklists and questions in our manual that's like, okay, these are the questions you need to ask at your, you know, at the end of the first trimester end of the second trimester end of the third trimester. So like you can just go through the list and you have kind of this more comprehensive idea of what could potentially happen and then what to do after if it does. Right. Ah, love that. Okay. So we've talked a ton about labor and immediate postpartum, but now I want to know like in the postpartum days, like how should women care for their pelvic floor? Mm-hmm. <laughs> now that they've had this baby, they have a tear, Dr. Marcy, what can we do? Or they've had a C-section or whatever. Like, what can they do? Yeah. So postpartum is forever. <laughs> um, <laughs> I never say, yeah. Just side note. I never say that it ends at six weeks or 12 weeks or, you know, That's whatever. the biggest joke. No. Yeah. Postpartum never. is forever. And the crazy thing is, is that incontinence is one of the main reasons that women get admitted to nursing homes when they're elderly. And that incontinence started after baby. So they've been like dealing with it their whole life and it's just been getting worse and worse and worse to the point where they're like at a fall risk and they're not functional. So caring for your pelvic floor really is something that needs to happen ASAP from like just a functional quality of life standpoint. You know, and there's a whole another side of this in terms of like postpartum depression and anxiety and how that plays a part in your physical well-being and vice versa. Like a lot of times we have increases in postpartum anxiety and depression when we have pelvic floor issues because we're feeling isolated. We don't go out to see our friends as much. We don't exercise. We lose the protective benefits of exercise because we're worried we're going to pee our pants or poop our pants or, you know, sex is painful and you have pelvic pain and all these things. So we like kind of stop doing the things that we like doing and we're navigating with you know, this new identity as a mom. And, you know, there's so many factors here. So, in the postpartum period, it is like so vital 
to think about healing and recovering just like you would heal or recover from like a, you know, a shoulder surgery. I mean, it's like if we just left somebody that had like a shoulder surgery to fend for themselves, <laughs> like that wouldn't work from a functional, emotional, physical well-being. So same thing for baby. So how do you do it? One, you follow me <laughs> on Instagram. <laughs> Make sure that you like get all of our newsletters, our blogs. I've got tons of free resources out there for moms at any stage in pregnancy and postpartum. But you really want to make sure in that early stage, like zero to six weeks, that we're focusing on like tissue healing, pain reduction, swelling management, and early mobility. Okay, so this is where like we're getting out of bed the right way, we're walking around the house, we're taking it easy, but we're still kind of moving, right? Then around like the six to eight week mark, we start like the recovery kind of rehab portion. And the rehab portion is really where we start to reconnect the brain to the pelvic floor and be like, okay, you just went through a lot, sister, <laughs> like for a long time. So I don't expect you to be able to just like work the way that you did prior to even being pregnant, which is what we get at our six-week mark. Okay, you're cleared. Go back to doing everything that you used to be doing, no problem. You used to be a runner, start running. CrossFit, start CrossFit. Sex, go for it. But like your body has not is not recovered or rehabbed to start at that level yet. So at six weeks, we start really with like very basic pelvic floor strengthening, core strengthening, abdominal work, breath work, scar tissue mobilization, both from a C-section and pelvic floor standpoint to make sure that the tissues can start to do what they need to do. Then we start to strengthen because you can't strengthen and do muscle contractions and all these things if like the muscles aren't working. So like we have to have that piece in place first. And I think that's what's missing a lot. You know, I'm sure you've had clients and your community is like, okay, six weeks, like went back to the gym, peed my pants, had pain, felt like I couldn't even lift a barbell. And it's like, well, yeah, of, co of course. But I just have to muscle through it because yeah. I had a baby and it'll yeah. get better, right? <laughs> right. And now I'm healed, right? Like I'm fine. The doctor said everything is fine. I'm good to go. I'm normal. But there's this distinction that we need to make between common and normal. Right. Yes. Yes. Right? Like so important. Oh, that's just super normal. Like everybody pees. Well, yeah, it's freaking common, but that don't mean it's normal. normal. Exactly. Like if I was peeing my pants before having a baby, you wouldn't say that it was normal. <laughs> like what? Why is it normal now? 100%. Oh my gosh. I love this. This is so good, Dr. Marcy. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> and like, I guess, so you're talking about some of these things, like what are other like common pelvic floor dysfunctions that we need to be mindful of, you know, that happen often during like postpartum and beyond and like, what can we do to treat them? Yep. So I think the three most common things that I see are stress incontinence. So this is leaking pee with like laugh, cough, sneeze, running, jumping yes. on a trampoline, yes. you know, all the things, right. Running after your toddler, whatever. Drinking wine with your girlfriends, laughing, peeing everywhere. Been there, done that. So that's one. Second is prolapse. So this is where the organs, your pelvic organs sit a little bit lower in the vaginal canal. Okay. And so you might, they're not necessarily painful, but you might feel like bulkiness, heaviness. You might notice something when you're like wiping in the shower or washing. You'd be like, whoa, that wasn't there before. Like, what the hell is that? And that's like a supportive dysfunction and can contribute to leaking urine, constipation, feeling like you're not emptying all the way, that sort of thing. Because we just have, we've lost that kind of support of the organ. Right. 
The third would be any sort of pelvic pain. So this could be pain around the vulva, vaginal area, pain with sex, pain with tampons, pain with gynecological exam, C-section scar pain, kind of all of that area. It is not normal for your scar to still be bugging you a year after C-section. Right. Yeah. And how many people are always like, oh, it's like numb and itchy and weird? No. We need to like make sure that that's not happening. And it's really because there's not a ton of real estate in that area. (laughs) Like everything is so compact. The pelvic floor is right there. Your C-section scar is right there. Your abdominal muscles are right there. Everything is right there. So one thing will affect the other. You know, the whole like knee bone connected to the thigh bone connected to the, you know, face bone or whatever. It's the same for your pelvic floor. So like when we see a dysfunction in your abdomen or your glute muscles or even your ankle, that's going to affect what's happening above and below. So we have to kind of treat all of that. So the way that you do that is by taking it slow and not pushing through these symptoms because it's telling us that the body is not quite ready for whatever that load is. Okay. And we need to go back to this idea of training and adaptation for postpartum, right? So what I mean by that is muscles have lots of different types of fibers, right? Sprinters, endurance fibers, power fibers, all these things. So we need to train each of those individually. We can't just expect our body to be like, oh, I'm just going to start running or, oh, I'm just going to start you know, lifting weights or go back to CrossFit or Pilates or whatever. We have to be able to work our way up to that goal, just like we would be rehabbing after a knee surgery or shoulder surgery or any other type of musculoskeletal injury. And what it's going to look like is a little bit of like up and down. It's not going to be this like linear situation because we're carrying a baby that's getting heavier. We have to deal with our cycles. We're dealing with hormones from breastfeeding or not breastfeeding. We're sitting down on our scar all the time. Like it's so much different than being like, oh, I have, you know, three holes in my knee and like I can just rub on them and, you know, strengthen my quad and my hips and like everything is like we kind of know what to expect, right? It's kind of this like very linear process. Like we know this algorithm. But for postpartum stuff, it changes. And a lot of times people think that if they have a setback or if they see more leaking that it's not working or they're broken or they're doing something wrong, but we just have to understand that our body just went through something crazy, especially in those like early stages when we're healing from the placenta. I mean, that's an open dinner plate sized wound inside your organ Mm -hmm. that takes weeks to heal. So think about like how much energy and resources your body needs to heal that. I would rather spend it healing that and doing like little basic exercises at home than like trying to get back to running right away. Totally. And for the women who are listening and they're like, okay, yes, I had a baby, but it wasn't just like a couple months ago. And I'm listening to this podcast and I'm experiencing some of these things that Dr. Marcy's talking about, but it's been years since I've had a baby. What do you want to say to those women? Yeah. Never too late. Oldest patient I had was 89. I treated her. I treated her daughter and I treated her granddaughter, <laughs> all of her pelvic floor stuff. So never too late. That's what's so beautiful about the body and pelvic floor muscles, right? Like we can always train them. We can always make a difference. So never too late. Second, doesn't matter if baby came through the sunroof or the vagina, we can make a change. Tissue is always malleable, you know, and pliable. Three, it's not 
just how your life has to be. Okay. Pads are not treatment for leaking. Although you would think otherwise based on what we're told in our doctor's appointments. No, that is putting a bandaid on like a gaping wound, like stop. Yeah. And also just to like, you know, ruffle some feathers because you know, that's kind of what I like to do. The pad industry is a billion dollar industry. Okay. And yes, they are products that we need, right? We need to be dry. We need to have healthy skin down there. We need to be, if it's, if wearing a pad gets you out and social and exercising, fabulous. Great. However, it should be the other way around. It should be thick to thin, but how they are marketed throughout the lifespan is you go thicker as you age. You start with a liner, you go to a pad, eventually you're in adult diapers because they base their business model and their product line on the fact that we do not treat this issue and that we tell women. And in fact, there's one company that has it as part of their marketing that this is part of being a woman. Oh, it's, you can still be, you know, who you want to be, even though you're like leaking pee, it's just, you're stronger than that. But you need all these pads and diapers as you start to get older. So that idea that like constant barrage of pads, you need this, you need that, you need that. It's like, they're just reinforcing this belief that women's problems are unimportant, don't warrant treatment. You have to wear a soggy pad all day and eventually get into diapers and there's nothing you can do about it, which is BS. And it doesn't have to be that way. And I think a lot of times when like my seasoned moms come in who kids are in college or kids are in high school and they're like, man, I'm finally like, I never thought that I would be able to do something about this or, oh, I'm finally, you know, my friend was in PT and like, I want to try it. And what do you think? And even if we change it 50% or 30%, their quality of life goes up. And that's all that matters. Like we don't have to be 100% dry, but we need to have a plan and we need to have support and resources. And sometimes people are like, dude, if I can get to the point where like I'm only leaking a little bit when I cough, you know, when I'm sick, but I'm dry the rest of the time, like I'm good with that. Yeah. And I'm like, cool, your goals are my goals. You know, like I never say like we're getting a hot people 100% dry all the time. It's not, that's not how it usually is. I mean, for the most part, people are a lot drier and a lot more supported and don't have pain. But sometimes like we have to realize that, you know, it is the body and there's all these other variables, but it doesn't have to be, you don't have to feel like you're a prisoner or that like, this is just how it is because of the choice to be a mom. Right. This is your life sentence that you have to bear. Like, no, no. Well, I so appreciate you saying that to moms because I think that they're just like, oh, but it's too late. I should have seen someone right after postpartum and it's been years now. And it's just silly to think that I can go see somebody now. And like, I think that that's not true. And I'm so glad that you just validated that. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And I think, you know, it's funny too, because like I talked to a lot of older women too, and they're like, man, where were you, you know, 20 years ago? (laughs) And I was like, I'm here right now. Let's go. Exactly. (laughs) What's like, what are we waiting for? And they're like, Oh my gosh. All right. You know, and it's like, and even in my clinic, when I see client, you know, patients now, it's like they come in and, you know, past menopause and kids are grown and they're like, man, I've been dealing with this for so long. And they're like, I can't believe in just like, you know, two or three sessions that like it's changed. And I've been dealing with this for like 25 years. And I'm like, I know. It's like, like, let's just have, get you a better life. You know, it's like, gosh, 
people don't understand that you don't want to be thinking about your bladder and your pelvic floor and your vagina all the time. Yeah. You just don't. Yeah. You just want to live your life and not have to worry about those embarrassing issues that sometimes happen. So we're just so grateful for the work that you do, Dr. Marcy. And now we need to know, like, do you have any final thoughts or just words of advice or just anything at all that you'd like to leave our audience with? So I think the biggest thing would be that there's a difference between common and normal, that nothing is TMI. If you feel that your healthcare provider is not hearing you, is not validating you, and if you feel like you can't ask questions, it might be time to find a different provider. And that's okay. You know, it's okay to remove yourself from a situation that you're not super happy with from a medical provider standpoint. I think that's really hard for a lot of people, but necessary. And the other thing too is just motherhood is hard. Okay. It's hard. Let's just tell like it is. Recovery doesn't have to be as hard as it is right now. And we don't need to be living with these year-long issues that affect so many aspects of a mom's life, from social, personal, career-wise, physical, mental, all of these things. Like, you know, we talk about pelvic floor issues, right? And we talk about leaking, we talk about pain with sex and prolapse and all those things. But really the it's a bigger problem. Those are like the symptoms, (laughs) right? Like those are like the secondary things that happen because we are not taking care of our moms. And I think the biggest thing that I want moms to know is that they're important. Your bodies are important. Your life is important. What matters to you is important, no matter how big or small it seems. And we need to do better in our society and in our healthcare about how we're treating women and moms. And the time is now to start to put yourself first, right? Like put your mask on first because we can't pour from an empty cup and pelvic floor issues and mental health issues will deplete you over time. And it doesn't have to be that way. Here, here. I totally agree. Oh my gosh. Okay, Dr. Marcy, now that we have all of these amazing nuggets of wisdom from you, we need to know, like, where can our listeners find you? Yes, yes. So I hang out on Instagram mainly. So you can find me on Instagram, the down there doc is my handle. My website is the down there doc.com. I also have marcycrouch.com. If you're looking for free resources, our free webinars, our downloads, newsletter, all that stuff, you can find it on either website, down there doc.com or marcycrouch.com. We also are on TikTok as well. And we just started Lemonade, apparently. Ooh. It's like, I don't know, all these kids are on Lemonade. I don't know. It's like, <laughs> my, yeah, it's like these college age kids are like, oh, you got to be on Lemonade. I have no idea. But we're on there. We're on YouTube, TikTok, and then Instagram is where we, we mainly hang out. But we do webinars. We do lots of free resources for moms. So please don't hesitate to reach out. I have a great team and our community is just awesome. And I just love all our moms. We love it. Oh my gosh. That's so cool. Thank you so much, Dr. Marcy, for your time, for sharing your knowledge and advice with all of us. I truly appreciate it. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. Oh my gosh. This was so much fun talking about vaginas and all the things. (laughs) The best. 
I'll do it for hours, Nina. Hours. I love it. Oh my gosh. And for our listeners out there to learn more about Dr. Marcy, as she said, you can find her online at thedowntheredoc.com or on Instagram at thedowntheredoc. Our team will be posting today's episode on Baby Chick's Facebook page. So if you have any questions or comments about this discussion, please share them with us in the comments section. And as always, if you haven't already, please subscribe to Chick Chat, the Baby Chick podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts and leave us an honest review. Cheers to taking care of yourself down there.